Amen. Thank you, guys. Um, thank you, Bensville. You have been so kind to me this morning. You've been so encouraging. I've seen your text messages, but I've been on communication silence. So um, they came in thick and fast this morning, and I appreciate it. I deeply appreciate it. Thank you for being so encouraging. Um, our car trip over here this morning was um, pretty cool. My family decided to pray for me. So I've been covered in prayer for nerves, not vomiting, and to do better than Kev. So we should be sweet. <laughs> um, all right, so let's do this. Uh, back when Aid and I were um, young, maybe dumb, who knows, um, but we decided to own and build our house. Well, Aid, Aid did the building. I just got out of it by having babies. <laughs> um, but as it was in the build phase, which was for quite a while because it was kind of a weekend project, um, I would regularly walk through it and I would pray that God would bless and anoint the space for ministry. I prayed that it would be a place where God would dwell with us and the people who stepped through our front door would feel the presence of God. I prayed that it would be a safe space where our children would feel loved by us and known by God. And I still pray those things over our family and our home. Um, But I love the verse in Joshua that says, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That is what we are aiming for in our house. So if you've been journeying with Coast over the last 10 or so months, you would have heard us talk about our core convictions. And one of them is that the home is the primary place of discipleship. And what we mean by that is the main focus is not what happens on a Sunday. We desire to see parents really intentional in the mission of parenting, people active in the mission of families, for it to be normative for every partner of Coast Community to be in a home group or home church. That mission can happen out of our homes, in our neighbourhoods. There was much focus on the homes, on homes as the early church gained momentum. I've seen this play out in our home. As we parent and disciple our children, as we open our doors weekly for our home group and as we welcome guests. It's our hope that our home functions like a microchurch, a unified body of believers with Christ at its centre. And key to the health of our home is healthy Christ-like relationships with each other. This morning we are continuing the Being the Church series, journeying through the book of Ephesians. And our primary focus will be on relationship this morning, but particularly the marriage relationship. But I just want to put a disclaimer out there. We will very much be staying in the lane of the text. But please don't read that as me being naive, insensitive or disrespectful to those whose family or home situations don't or aren't reflected in the text. Um, You'll see, as we would go through it, that um, Paul mirrors marriage with the relationship between Christ and the church. And we are all part of the church, so we can all get something out of the passage this morning. So, let's look at the passage. I'll be reading out of the NLT version, so if you've got your Bible apps and you want to click on that, now's your your moment. Um, Let's go. It's interesting. It's a good, it's an interesting passage. (laughs) 
And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the saviour of his body, the church. Sorry. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honour your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favourites. It's a chunky bit of, bit of scripture. Who's still vibing the slaves and masters section? If you, ask, if you ask my kids, I've got three. But just between us, they're not very good at it. <laughs> you don't need to be offended because you're not actually a slave. <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie, but this has been a very challenging bit of scripture to get my head around, especially the first section. Um, and since I'm being honest, when I first came across this passage years ago, it ticked me off. It made me really angry, actually. My, I was a new believer and there was, there was no way that I could ever, ever see myself submitting to a man. It's just not how I was brought up. Um, yep, I hadn't, I hadn't actually experienced real respect from any man. So therefore, there was no way I could, I could see myself doing that. It also made me angry because I didn't want to be part of a religion, because that's what it was when I was just fresh, 
that, in my opinion, and with my very limited theology, kept women down and seemingly endorsed slavery. I was happy to take all the lovely bits of Christianity, like I was forgiven and I was loved and there's hope and there's joy and wrap them around me and just sort of pretend that all this hard stuff didn't exist. But a few years ago, I was challenged at a conference by a speaker to lean in, to press into the things that we don't understand, the things that we wrestle with and the things that make us uncomfortable and the things that we resist so that we can wrestle with it and try and understand if for no other reason than to gain an informed opinion and better theology. But more likely than not, this is where growth is going to come from. As a Christian woman, as a wife, as a mother raising disciples, and as a woman in ministry, I wanted to understand this scripture. More than that, I needed to understand this scripture. I want to participate and I want to influence and I want to inspire with integrity. I want to live righteously and I want to encourage those around me to do the same. And I can't do that if I'm harboring contempt for God's word. So here's what I learned. We need to be careful that we don't just read this, any scripture, but this one this morning, at surface level. We also must be mindful that we don't engage through it through the lens of poor theology, negative life experiences or false narratives. In this case, with this verse, we run the risk of wives being undervalued and husbands having a misguided sense of power and authority. To help us understand this passage a little better, I'm just going to take a quick walk down history lane and look at its cultural context. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, made up of mostly Gentile converts who were new believers of the time. They are living in a patriarchal society under Roman rule. The Roman Empire instructed the male head of the family on how to rule their households. They were called household codes. The men were very much the king of their home. Women, children and slaves were commodities that could be divorced, killed or sold whenever the man desired. One of the biggest questions that was raised for me from this passage is what is God's view on equality? Are women, children and slaves less than men in the sight of God? If we do only take this scripture at surface level, it's pretty easy to read that into it. But when I really look at what Paul is doing here, I can see that Paul is advocating for equality. Paul writes in another letter, Galatians, um, in Christ Jesus... You are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He even says at the end of the passage we're looking at today, we all have the same master in heaven and he has no favourites. Paul does something pretty gutsy here. I remember reading this passage in Ephesians and going, Paul, this is why you never got married. (laughs) But 
but he's kind of gone up a few notches now. He might have made a good husband. <laughs> but um, he does something really gutsy. He's, in, he's under house arrest in Rome when he's writing this letter. And he writes, he writes to the church in Ephesus, um, challenging the culture and the social constructs of the time. Most of Paul's letters do this, but we're talking about this one. He takes the Roman household code that is based on power, control, and total authority and flips it upside down. Classic God, really, taking worldly culture and doing the opposite. Paul presents a kingdom code based on love, equality, and mutual respect, modelled by Christ's love for his bride, the church. Wives submitting, children and slaves being obedient was not the controversial part of Paul's letter. They understood their place well. They live it day in, day out. A significant thing to note is that when the Roman household code, or where the Roman household code, only addresses and instructs the male, Paul addresses the subordinates, and by doing so, he places value and worth on them. He acknowledges them as part of the household and he instructs them with a Christ-like response to their reality that mimics Christ's love and respect to his church. He encourages them with a kingdom why, that is, out of reverence for Christ. Paul's instruction here is very measured in a good way. You see, you can't undo hundreds or thousands of years' worth of culture with one letter. Instead, he teaches them how to live out their newfound faith within the concrete reality of their lives. As we read in Galatians, Paul emphasised the equality of all believers, but he doesn't suggest overthrowing Roman society. Instead, he instructs all believers to submit to one another by choice. This kind of mutual submission creates unity and harmony within a family while it increases love and respect among its members, despite living in a hierarchical society. The biggest challenge here is directed to the husband. They had total authority, total power and total control over their households. And Paul instructs them to lay it all down. They are to embrace the role of spiritual head of the family and disciple their households with love, respect and gentleness. A husband must love his wife as he loves himself. Care for her as as Christ cares for the church. That is a massive leap from total authority to servant leadership and mutual submission. So what does that what does that mean for us today? We don't live in an overt hierarchical society. In our cultural context today, women are free. We're independent. We can even vote and own property. <laughs> We have access to the word of God 
we're educated and we have the Holy Spirit within us. Does this make this instruction any less real for us? I'm going to come back to this in a minute. First, I just want to, I want to share the vision of what marriage was intended to look like before the fall. And this is from a book I've been reading. God created man and woman, distinct but equal, and they existed in perfect harmony and relationship with God and each other. Genesis 1, 27 to 28 says, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. God gives Adam and Eve a shared responsibility, a shared mission to take care of what God created. There is no indication of hierarchy or superiority in any way. This paints a picture of an incredible time of man and woman living mutually in perfect community with each other and serving God together as equal image bearers. God's original design is for man and woman to co-rule, co-reign in community with one another to advance God's purpose on earth. You see, we are equal yet distinct. This is me now, this isn't from the book. We have different roles to play in taking care of God's creation and to advance God's purpose on earth. Neither is lesser. They're just different. Both are equal image bearers. We are equal with a unique and different function and represent different aspects of God's character. And it's only together that we are the fullest expression of God's character that we can be. Men are called, designed to be the spiritual head of our homes. And women are called and designed to be helpers. And I can see, I realise that this could sound like a massive contradiction after I've just said that neither is lesser. Our culture does us no favours when it comes to understanding kingdom culture. Society tells us that submission is negative and weak. But kingdom culture, God says that it is Christ-like, loving and respectful. So it is with the word helper. Somewhere along the way, we have lost the true meaning and significance of being a helper. We view it as less than. I don't think we fully understand what the kingdom meaning of helper is. All three of our Holy Trinity are referred to as helper. God is a helper. Jesus is a helper. And the Holy Spirit is the helper that came when Jesus ascended. And none of them are lesser than anyone else. And I don't say that to elevate women to God's status. 
I'm just highlighting that being a helper is a divine characteristic. The Hebrew word used to describe Eve is Ezer. I'm probably saying that wrong because I don't speak Hebrew. E-Z-E-R. It is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Twice to describe Eve. Three times to reference other nations who came to save Israel's butt while they were um, besieged. And the remaining times it refers to God. Being an Ezer is being alongside. It's coming alongside. It's not more than and it's not less than. It's alongside. I had to repent because I failed to recognise the significance of that characteristic of God that had been placed in me. I put no or not enough worth and value in it. And I was so sorry once I realised what being a helper actually meant. Women, well, as the gender divide lessens, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying we're there yet, we have muddied the water and lost sight of the uniqueness and the different aspects of God's character represented in man and woman. Women, we're called to be helpers. We're called to work alongside our men, to support and encourage them and advance God's kingdom together. Just as our culture has watered down the significance of the calling of women, it has watered down the significance of the call of our men too. Men, you are called to be the spiritual head of your family, under Christ, of course. And the working out of that calling is through Christ-like love, respect and devotion to your wife and family. Men, can I ask you a question? It's actually going to be a series of questions. Are you aware of the significance of your role? Of the responsibility to lead and disciple your families? To lead your household in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord? Do you sense your spiritual responsibility? Do you understand the importance? Is Jesus your role model and are you following him well? I'm not asking to scare or intimidate. I want to encourage and inspire you to lean in and step up to your calling as a spiritual leader of your home. This is a a joint responsibility. Women need to help. We need to help our men be empowered to lead the way they have been called to. Now, discipleship in the home is not the path of least resistance. It's going to take teamwork, intentionality, time and effort. And it's going to cost something. The true value of a unified home with Christ at its centre far outweighs any cost. And you have help. You have help of your spouse if you're married and you have help of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to summarise 
what these passages say about relationships in our household. These passages speak of a Christ-like devotion, love and service to one another. Mutual love and respect between husband and wife, parent and child, slave and master is pleasing to the Lord. Equality is fundamental and a servant heart is a must. Our roles are reciprocal, not identical. Each member is there to serve the other or others, but their roles will look different as we encourage and trust one another with their God-given calling and gifts. In the context of marriage, neither role can be taken lightly. Each bear responsibility and both are accountable to God. By living and leading our homes this way, we are building God's church from our homes out. Can you give a prayer Thanks, Karen. Would you join me as we pray? So, Father God, I thank you for the wisdom of your word. I thank you for the presence of your spirit. As Karen was sharing, there are things about the Christian life that are absolutely countercultural to the world around us. And I pray that we would have the courage to place you at the centre, have a deep conviction that what you call us to, the way you provide guidelines for life, the way you give commands, the way you encourage us to, to follow you, all those things are designed because that is the best thing for us. As our creator, you know the best thing for us. And so I pray for the courage to engage with your word, to live a countercultural life, to live according to your precepts, to live according to your instruction, because it's in those places we will find life. It's in those places that our lived experience will actually reflect you and your character. And as we do that in our families, as we do that as your church, we will be a community of people who are living in such a way that it draws people to yourself. Because there will be life. There will be love, there will be grace, there will be forgiveness, there will be beauty. There will be all those things that reflect who you truly are. Would you help us in that? In your name. Amen.